Yes, we're a food bank. We collect and distribute an impressive amount of food. But that's not all. We're a hub of caring people doing all we can to end poverty and hunger and improve health. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Mid-Ohio Food Collective Podcast. Everyone at the table. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm the host of Everyone at the Table, Scott Light. So it is June, and Ohio lawmakers are making their decisions about food, hunger, and poverty right this moment. Their final decisions, in fact, will be made at the end of this month. So we're hoping this episode spurs you, our listeners, to contact your respective representatives between now and then, because so much is at stake when we're talking about the state budget. Let's discuss it all with Mid-Ohio's Hallie Carino-Lee and Tim White. Welcome to you both. Tim, we're going to jump right into it here. You're the Director of Government Relations. So give us the state of play at this moment with the state budget on the House and Senate side on allocation for hunger and food banking. Thank you, Scott. The state budget is very much on the forefront for us and most interest around the state house these days. And realistically, it's a very specific process. So a quick overview of how the state budget comes about. It's a two-year process, two one-year state budgets enacted every odd year. This is 2023, so we are into it this year. The state runs on a fiscal year, July 1st to June 30th. And that's why We are in the 11th hour right now for the negotiations on it for enacting the next budget that will run the next two years. With that, part of why we are so interested in it, Ohio has a very unique program that provides for surplus agricultural, other products, uh, $24.55 million a year that the state allocates to help food banks purchase from local farmers, retailers, and others. It's a great program, win-win, that gets excess product that may otherwise go to waste to food banks like us that we can utilize in our distribution. It was flat funded this year at 24.55. The House added additional funding of $15 million to it. Unfortunately, the Senate took that $15 million out. And now that we are entering into the final leg of the state budget, which has to be enacted by June 30th, as we enter into that, we're trying to get that funding restored. And that is what's forefront for us on the state budget process. Hallie, let me come to you. You're the grassroots government relations specialist here. What do you want our listeners to do? How can they advocate and activate in this whole process? So I think what's really cool about advocacy work nowadays is that it's so easy to get involved, um, especially the impact of social media. All it takes is for you to follow your elected official on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can you know follow what type of policies that they're supporting. You can see what they're voting on. Um, and that's a great way to directly um, reach out to your elected officials. Sign-on letters are a great option, too. A lot of organizations that we work and collaborate with will generate sign-on letters together that go directly to elected officials addressing what our concerns are. Um, calling and emailing your elected officials directly. You know, their their websites often have their phone numbers and their emails that go directly to their offices. Um, you can leave a voicemail. You can leave a message. They work for us. So you should be able to have that conversation with them about what your concerns are as a constituent. And then getting involved in whatever different interests uh, you have are. So volunteering directly with an organization like us allows you to be immersed in what the issue is and get to learn about it firsthand. Um exercising your right to vote. Mm -hmm. We all have a right as an American citizen to exercise our right to vote. 
um, the best way to really get your voice heard and to make sure that who is in leadership and who are our elected officials is directly dependent on us. So if you don't agree with how someone is running something or the policies that they're enacting, vote them out. Um, And then just advocacy through education. That's something we touch on a lot as an advocacy team is that the best Advocates are the people who are knowledgeable about what we do and can share either firsthand experiences. Lived experience is the best form of advocacy, in our opinion. And just educating people more about misnomers uh, around poverty, misnomers around food insecurity. When people can share our stories to their elected officials and just to their friends, their neighbors, their family members, then we know that... um, We've done our part. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up some of those misnomers. We're gonna we're gonna do a little myth busting in this episode a little bit later on, and also talking about that advocacy. Advocacy equals education. We're gonna talk about that as we move along here too. I want to talk about our leader here at Mid Ohio, our president and CEO Matt Habash. He put out a statement earlier this month, and I want to read a couple of quotes um, from that statement. This one in particular to start us off here. In my almost 40 years leading the Mid-Ohio Food Collective, I can honestly tell you that hunger in Central and Eastern Ohio is at unprecedented levels. Parents are skipping meals to feed their children. Seniors and veterans are choosing between medicine and food. Continued inflation is eating into wages. Traffic at our pantries has jumped by an alarming 40% compared to last year. Ohio's food banks are struggling to meet the surging demand while coping with rising food costs, just like families across our state. So I'd like to break down that quote with both of you. Can you further expound on those unprecedented needs that you're trying to meet throughout Central and Eastern Ohio. In Matt's quote, I think he touches on something very important, is that inflation is just eating at wages. And so right now we're seeing for the first time so many individuals who are coming to our doors for the first time. You know, that normal, um, you know, 100 and 150 bucks of a budget that maybe someone had for their weekly groceries, that's not stretching as far anymore. With rising food costs, with inflation, rising housing costs, Um, people are just stretched so much thinner in terms of what their budget got them. Um, And what I think the big misnomer is, and we'll talk more about misnomers, is that hunger exists in every single zip code. You know, it's not just, you know, your kind of typical face of poverty or typical face of food insecurity. But um, when more and more individuals are being met with this pressure to make ends meet, um, we are one of the first opportunities that people can Um, rely on to be able to help stretch that budget a little bit further. Um, We kind of talk about all the time that the rent eats first and, you know, you can't forego your rent. You can't forego maybe your medication, even though sometimes people do. Um, But we're just seeing higher and higher service numbers um, coming through our doors. And it's really sad to see. Mm -hmm. Tim, Matt put it out there in that quote. Absolutely. He put it out there and it's true and it's heartbreaking. We serve 20 counties through central and eastern Ohio. And we're seeing this increase happening urban and rural areas. It's happening across our service area. And as you mentioned, up 40% overall. That's over 700,000 people through the first five months of the year. That's amazing. What's most alarming through that is we continue to see an increase in first-time customers, people who never dreamed of coming to us, people who never want to come to us, but we're up 35%, nearly 100,000 people coming to us for the first time through the first five months. And that really is telling that when we have so many families, seniors, different people who finally have said, we need help. 
Matt went on to say this as, as part of his quote, the Senate funding cut coupled with a raft of new harsh limitations to programs that help Ohioans would do serious lasting harm to Ohio's children, seniors, and working families. Tim, what are those harsh limitations that he's talking about? That's a great point because unfortunately, a number of provisions were added into the Senate version. As it came out of the Senate, the good news is a number were taken out. And so we did get rid of some of those. Unfortunately, there's still about a page and a half of different provisions that cut across different services, Medicaid, hunger relief, health care, housing, that really impact people in Ohio across a variety of social areas. And those are what we're trying to get out of there now. In particular, there was a provision added into the Senate version to require photo IDs onto SNAP cards. And that is one raises a lot of problems. And it also potentially conflicts with federal law. A lot of the provisions that we've looked at are governed by federal law and there are conflicts there. So we're working to get that photo ID provision out along with some of the things that were put in that cut housing assistance, that cut eligibility to Medicaid. Because we know if people lose their Medicaid, that's going to be out of pocket health costs. If they have housing issues, their rent goes up and they don't have assistance, that's going to be more. So we see where it all ties together in that page and a half of different provisions. We're working to get all of those out with a focus primarily on the SNAP photo ID. Hallie, let's come back to that great point you made earlier, talking about some myth busting here and some misconceptions out there. When we were prepping for this episode, when the three of us were talking, we talked about that the myth busting around our friends, neighbors, and family members who receive this assistance. And one of them is that everyone who can work does work, right? Yes, that is correct. To receive SNAP benefits, there is um, a really kind of extensive application process. Um, The great thing about SNAP is that um, there's a very, very low fraud rate. You know, the federal government has these policies within the SNAP provision that make sure that the dollars that are allocated to that are being used effectively. So when someone applies for SNAP, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, our SNAP outreach team really hit the nail on the head on this in your previous episode. Um, But there are specific work requirements that exist within SNAP to make sure that um, people are trying to build themselves out of poverty, essentially. Um, So what's unique about Ohio is that not only are we following federal work requirement guidelines, but we also have a state uh, work requirement as well on certain time limits um, and just some other kind of red tape shenanigans. So we're already pushing people to work anyway while they're receiving SNAP. Um, the problem often is with work requirements within SNAP is that there's a lot of red tape and a lot of administrative process that goes on with it. So a lot of times individuals fall off a of SNAP because they can't keep up with the requirements. So for instance, if someone is required to report to their work program a certain amount of hours a week, and maybe they had an issue with transportation, maybe a relative got sick or maybe they just couldn't get childcare, which is definitely a huge Mm -hmm. issue. Um, then they fall off the wagon. Maybe you weren't able to, um, complete the full application process for redetermining your income. There's so many layering factors that really actually make it very hard to hold your SNAP benefits. And when it's already such a minimal, um, amount anyway, that people are receiving, uh, each month now with them being pulled to pre pandemic, uh, allocations again, it's really, it's really tough. Um, and so there's that misnomer that anyone who is 
and SNAP doesn't work. They're benefiting right. off of the government. Right. Um, and that's just not true. I'll give a quick little personal experience. So I was in AmeriCorps Vista before I got hired onto the food bank and AmeriCorps Vistas are allowed to apply for SNAP. Um, and I actually had a really difficult time trying to go through the process. And so I ended up not being able to get SNAP benefits during my AmeriCorps Vista. And so, but I was working and like, I still was able to qualify for it. So there's just even one minimal example that um, someone who is working can actively get SNAP. But what's interesting is that there's so many layering effects that push people into poverty that still create these misnomers of why someone is experiencing food insecurity. Um, and the Senate budget really hit it hard on health and human services. There's so many confounding factors that push people to poverty. So if someone's experiencing food insecurity, um, that's usually a guiding light for us that they're probably also experiencing housing issues. They're experiencing childcare issues. Maybe they're experiencing healthcare issues. Um, and it can happen at a moment's notice. What's interesting is that we see time and time again, individuals who are doing the work to try to build themselves out of poverty, that kind of old saying, build yourself up by your bootstraps. But that's not the same for every single individual. Right. Underlying uh, racial inequities, um, long systems of oppression, you know, we talk about the benefits cliff and how there is this kind of, we hope that someone would be able to want to take a raise to be able to get themselves into a better position. But when the levels for SNAP and for other entitlement programs are so tight that as soon as you get a $1 raise, you're knocked off your benefits, then you're technically in the same hole that you were. So we ask ourselves, should people have to decide to forego a raise to maintain the benefits? In my mind, no. But unfortunately, that's kind of the, how the situation is. Right, right. You know, you're getting into, you know, talking about the social determinants of health. Those are real. I mean, go around and talk to, to any doctor out there, especially at a community health center in Ohio, and they will tell you that one of the biggest impediments for people getting health care, they don't have transportation. You know, that's just one of those Absolutely. factors that not a lot of people know about. And it's an issue in metro areas. It's an issue in, in rural areas. So, yeah, we've got to look at the holistic picture. Tim, you also touched on this. Advocacy equals education. Education can then lead to societal change. But here's the other re reality point that we've got to bring into this. Nonprofits don't have the lobbying dollars that big corporations do. So, how can Mid-Ohio and other nonprofits out there engage and, and kind of, I'll, I'll use the word, compete, so to speak, in the governmental process? That is a great question because it is, how do we get our voice heard amongst the many voices that are at the state house, at Capitol Hill, on the federal level, the local level? And the first thing I'm going to address, because it is a common misconception, that nonprofits are nonprofits are allowed to lobby. A lot of people think that under federal and state law, nonprofits are barred from doing any lobbying, and that's not true. There are restrictions on it, certain ways to do it, but we absolutely comply with all federal and state law while making our voice heard. And so that's the one thing when we talk about education is making people, making sure people know, yes, we can raise our voice in advocacy. And how we do that is... Obviously, we have staff like us that go out and do it, but we rely heavily on our network, on volunteers, supporters, you know, whether they're donors, uh, even the customers, the folks who access our services. There's nothing like hearing directly from someone who says, this is where I am. This is why the support is needed. 
We do it through the website, newsletters, podcasts, things like this, that we get our message out so that people can take what we are working on on issues and they can also act on it, contact their legislators and others. And, you know, we have a lot of volunteers or volunteer leadership that they have their connections. They know folks. And so they are able to go back to maybe their local Rotary Club or fraternal organization, share it there to help spread the message, as well as take that message directly to our public officials. Because again, coming from people who have chosen to support us, whether, you know, financial donors or as a volunteer, however they do it, having those voices rise up with us really is impactful. And that's how we are able to compete because we can utilize our community support to say, this is real. We need help. Let me follow up with you in this respect. When it comes to getting those rising voices, mm-hmm. engaging with public officials, when we went back and, and looked at Governor DeWine's budget, the DeWine administration flat-funded the Ohio Association of Food Banks at, at just over $24 million. So with that level, and again, when we go back and look at the surge that that is coming that's already here when we when we're thinking about the demand that you're seeing, wouldn't more Ohioans, more adults, more children still go hungry? The short answer is yes. With the surge that we have, with the number of people, and it is not just us. We have 11 other food banks that we partner with, 12 food banks total throughout Ohio. Every one of those food banks is seeing the same type of surge, the same type of increase in need. And so, yes, I'm bad at math, but even I can figure out the equation of increased need plus flat funding is not sustainable. That's right. And that is exactly it. The one thing we always make perfectly clear, we are able to service our customers and we will find ways to service our customers. We are not going to shut down. We're not going to turn people away. We are finding a way to do it. But as we look at it long-term, we need this funding. We need this increase because of the increase in need. And we know from past history, it doesn't turn around overnight. When you have a major economic impact, such as, the pandemic and shutdown, it is years before we get back to what is considered normal. So this is not going to turn around overnight. It's going to go probably at least the next couple of years. Yep. So we're going to need that support now and going forward because we know the increased demand most likely going to be with us for a while. We're also determined to keep getting these messages out. So Hallie, let me come back to you. At the beginning of the episode, we talked about getting our listeners involved here. Where can they go to read more about what's going on, not just at the state house, but again, just to get more information about this entire process. Maybe they want to jump in on the volunteer side. Where can they find out more? So we'll do a little fun website plug. So if you go to mofc.org, our main website, we actually have an advocacy page on there. Um, And on that portion of the website is tons of really great resources to learn not only more about the budget process and what we're currently experiencing within the budget process, um, but just more general information on ways to contact your elected officials, more information on the specific policies that we advocate for um, on a day-to-day basis, and also a link to our fan newsletter. So the fan newsletter is our advocacy newsletter. We send out a version of it once a month, um, and we utilize it as a way to keep our subscribers up to date on any kind of current projects that we're working on, policy updates that are going on at the state and federal level, 
um, any kind of general advocacy work that we are doing. So anytime that we meet directly with an elected official, whether we bring them out for a tour or meet them at their office, we're always wanting to share that with our um, with our subscribers. And it's just a really great way for them to be in tune of what we're doing and also to just prompt them to ask questions and prompt them to say, oh, this is an easy way for uh, them to get involved. I can probably do the same. And just making ourselves as accessible as possible. You know, we're here to answer any and all questions and make people feel confident and comfortable that they can be civically active. Okay. How can people get in touch with you? Oh my gosh. Just give me a little phone call. Mm -hmm. Shoot me an email. I'm happy to provide any and all experience, suggestions, um, insight. And Tim and I, um, you know, we, I feel like we work really well to just be able to make our customers, our volunteers, our neighbors know that they easily can have a voice. There's no reason to be hopeless in this process, even though sometimes it may feel like that. But the more education, the more um, visibility that we can give our community to do what we do even is a win in our book. Absolutely. We want that feedback. We want people to call us and email us. We are accessible. We love to talk about our services, our team, what our people do. And we also will go out, talk to community groups, uh, different organizations so that we can spread. So absolutely email us, call us, however, contact us. We're happy to help people individually or go to groups and speak to them and help share that message so they can also share that message. So, yes, please let us know if we can be of help. Power in numbers. Yep, exactly. Allie and Tim, thank you both for being here. To our listeners, thank you as well. When you listen to our episodes, when you tell people about them, that does get the word out. That drives advocacy, creates change, and makes an impact for all of our neighbors. For more information on anything you heard today, again, please visit our website, www.mofc.org. Until the next time, this is the Mid-Ohio Food Collective Podcast, Everyone at the Table.